This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor from Radio Times, and welcome to this very special Christmas episode of View From My Sofa. Each week over the festive period, we'll be sitting down with the stars of TV to talk all things telly. What do they watch? Where do they watch? And who do they watch with? This week's guest really needs no introduction. It's the chef, restauranteur and cookbook author, Jamie Oliver. In our first festive episode, Jamie talks to me about Christmas Day and the Oliver household, how giving his wife Jules a foot massage is his surefire way to secure control of the remote, and how landing his first TV show was all down to potluck. Jamie Oliver, welcome to View From My Sofa. Thank you very much. And we're at Jamie Oliver HQ. Yeah, welcome to my little world. I know, it's gorgeous. Thank you. So let's start with what is the view from your sofa at Christmas time? Talk me through where's your Christmas tree, everything. Okay, front room, two sofas, big family, plus a little chair in the middle, uh, a rug, a table, and then um, a medium-sized Christmas tree. Christmas trees in the Oliver household are a very strange thing. Um, so, truth, I'm not even winding you up, right? <laughs> Jules has a special relationship with Christmas trees. Like, I'm not even joking. It's weird and I'm happy to share it. She goes to the Christmas tree place and she just wanders around for like 40 minutes. And she always picks a feral tree. Like, so what does a feral tree mean? Like, the ugliest thing you've ever seen, <laughs> she loves it. She feels sorry for it. She talks to it. She talks to trees. Um, one year, about three years ago, she bought one with no top. So, you know, like a classic Christmas tree is triangular-ish. I'm talking like it looks like an, the letter N, right? It was like a table, but it was amazing. 
like, honestly, by the time we dressed it, it was so cool. But it is the funniest thing. And I know I joke, but it's so true. I don't know why. I think, like, it's because of her childhood and, and like, memories. And, like, it's, like, it's, I mean, it's super cute. Don't get me yeah. wrong. And, like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is not normal. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she's a psychopath. But, like, it, it is hilarious. And the, the kids come. And it's like the Adams family's turned up to this place. And eventually she ties a little bow around the tree and then that's the one. So, yeah, we dress it up. It's very serious. It's absolute carnage dressing it. <laughs> like, honestly, any row that could happen happens. And then silence, Instagram picture, perfection, and then back to carnage. But it, look, we love it. We're a massive Christmas family. What are your kind of Christmas traditions? Uh, well, that's one of them. Um, um, Christmas traditions. I mean, just coziness personified, like just any opportunity to get cozy, you know, light a fire, um, you know, sort of getting excited about, you know, presents, um, obviously dressing the tree. Like we don't do like multiple rooms. We just kind of do like a couple of rooms, kitchen and front room normally. Um, what do we do? What do we do? Like we kind of, we like to kind of go out, just soak up all the atmosphere in that local village, local town where they're sort of like, we love a, like a choir, a choir thing. Yeah. Um, um, have a little sing along. Um, love kind of just all the banter in the local market town, sort of, you know, when they have the sort of late night shopping and stuff like that. And look, more than anything, it's just to see the the wonder in our kids' eyes. It's brilliant. It's yeah. what it's all about, really. Yeah. And whiskey. <laughs> mince pies oh i'm not a fan i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah no i'm not a fan either but it's nice to have you know like you got a christen like you have to like at least one mouthful yeah have you ever had a little bit of mince pie with some cheese no but it's just it's the like currants and stuff are just that's it's not too heavy for can't you. stomach it but yeah. i will take a bite of the pastry because that's delicious fair play like i do feel what you feel i do i think it's too heavy it's just, yeah, and I'd, I'd rather but have I'd the red But I kind of have to, otherwise you'd like, you've got to get into it. Yeah. It's like wearing a jumper you don't want to wear. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or the, ant, the, the little dilly yeah. popper antler things. Or a Santa's hat yeah. to work yeah. on a Friday. All that scratchy sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, plasticky fabric. What television and films do you watch over Christmas and who controls the remote? Okay, ultimately, well, actually, that's an interesting. The pecking order's changed. I'd say it's Poppy first. Because if she don't get what she wants, like, you know, you know about it. And then Jules. Then every other the member of the family and the dog conquer. And then me last. So I, I, I have to, like, work. yeah, my missus likes a foot massage. So, like, that's, we went from sort of 15 years ago, cuddles, and now it's, I get foot. <laughs> so I, I massage the foot. And if I do a good job of pounding certain areas, sort of like a la sort of reflexology like <laughs> sh knock her out she'll fall asleep right and then as soon as love island's over or anything similar to like love island then poppy's gone so then it then that's the minute when i can take advantage of the remote control but that's your prime time um, christmas um i do like christmas specials because i think it all dra dramatizes the excitement of things so obviously I've done one, but like everyone does one. I like it. I like it. I like to see how people are trying to be traditional, but also push things forward. Uh, I love the old classics. I know it's like all the typical like old classic um, Only Fools and Horses and stuff like that. I don't know why. I think it's probably just my age and like my childhood. And basically what I'm saying is nostalgia. Yeah. Um, nostalgia for me 
will be slightly different to nostalgia for you. Just slightly. Like, yeah. We had black and white telly in my day. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not that bad. <laughs> Give me a few years. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, comedies. Uh, like, there's a real need for comedy. Mm. I always like to re-watch Bad Santa. Um, terrible Christmas movie, but so funny. Wrong in every way. But that's like, fine. That sets a little tone. Which yeah, we is, all have a guilty pleasure. Yeah. And you have, to, you have to roll with it and spread the festive cheer. What does Christmas Day look like for you? And what's the importance of a good Christmas lunch? Ooh. Um, so, look, my youngest is six. So, like, it's like a five o'clock start, definitely, if not before. Shivering, shuddering, excitable little kid. Uh, and, and two others, of course. Um, the, t- the two teenagers will still be in bed and they won't make it. Um, so it'll be me and Jules and the three little ones. Um, it's like some opening of presents, light the fire, like get the heating on, uh, get the tea on, um, you know, normally tiny little hangover hidden in the background. Um, and, uh, yeah, just sort of like letting the kids get amongst it and enjoy it. Then it's cleaning up all the packaging. Thanks for all that packaging. Uh, so <laughs> it's like uh, then I'm out with my toolbox, putting batteries in, fixing things, yes, and course. like doing all that <laughs> stuff for like an hour, and uh, and then like a nice sort of fairly light breakfast. But it's normally sort of I don't know, sort of like waffly, pancakey, sort of like croissanty, brunchy style stuff. But then then I'm into sort of cooking mode in my, in my gym jams so you've never seen that on the telly hi guys yes this is i mean we uh jules buys matching pajamas by the way see that's how devoted we are to christmas i don't know what they are this year if i remember rightly i think they're navy blue with like stars all over them everyone gets the same ones nice. I, I know it's like do you spend the whole day in pajamas well this year we probably will although we'll all have a wash in the morning um yeah i mean theoretically we're we're going to be super it's just our our family this year which is quite unusual for us we normally have big big family christmases but i think you know it's quite nice to mix it up so we've got Mm. a really small one this year but yeah i'll cook all morning basically just bringing the din dins together as you would expect pretty much what you see on the telly basically just not having to talk not a day off tunes on uh, 11 o'clock sort of some connotation of like bucks fizz (laughs) but i don't really like champagne I'm not hugely passionate of about Prosecco, but I will have that because it's Christmas. Yeah. A bit like the mince pies. Sometimes you just have to do it for tradition. Got to roll with it. I'm also the, I'm, well, I've only got one other that Jaws doesn't drink. I've tried. I've tried everything. <laughs> Sorbets, granitas, desserts, no chance. Um, Poppy doesn't really drink. Daisy does like a little tibble. So we'll probably have a cheeky little one together. Oh, cute. And then we're into lunch. The main event Full of the Monday. day. Always yeah. turkey. Really? And goose. Oh. Yeah, love goose. I've never had. Oh, really? Do no. you like crispy duck? I do. Yeah, it's kind of similar vibe. Which is one of the recipes in your programme. Yeah. D- duck's obviously much more accessible, as mm. is chicken, which is another recipe. Yes. Um, but they're kind of the same. Okay. And, and the same principles apply. So it's like, and I think also like, not that it was a plan for the cost of living stuff, but like, you know, like an amazing turkey going to an amazing chicken. Like it's, 
it, like they're all amazing. So like, but just much easier to get, much cheaper. And obviously, if you're going from goose to duck again, it's just much more available and cheaper to get, but still wonderful and exciting. But um, yeah, no, I I really like the vibe. Like probably 15 years ago, I started doing both. I learned it from the Italians. They do like an arrosto misto, which means like it's like a, a roast version of a mixed grill. And the idea is like nothing goes to waste ever. But like you, if you roast three different meats together, um, so in the past I've done like a, a porchetta, a little small porchetta, a goose and a turkey. Like if you're basting all those meats, look at your eyes. Your eyes are so big. You're like, <laughs> like what's going on? <laughs> oh my God, it sounds but amazing. Now, you know, like all that sticky goodness that makes gravy, mm. like that from three different meats is amazing. And obviously at Christmas it's, and you can do small ones as well. Um, but you, you end up with the most incredible gravy and the most amazing leftovers. And then it just feels like, oh, I'll have a little bit of that. And I quite, you know, I, I'm, I kind of like that buffet vibe where people yeah. can build their own plate. And like, as a father of five kids and teenagers, like, like they're amazing, but like they're, they're all got their little quirks. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, let me know. I don't so want like, that. I yeah, want this. Yeah, so That's like, my on, There's a knife. Carve it up. <laughs> yeah. And um, I like that bit. Carve it up then. Merry Christmas. Yeah. But, um, yeah, love it. In our current issue of the Radio Times, we have some of your Christmas recipes, a festive chicken and a shredded red cabbage salad. Yeah, yeah. What inspired those recipes? Um, well, I think it's sort of like mixing things up. I mean, everyone likes tradition of the same thing every year. So I've done 25 Christmas specials now. Um, like, that's mad. Mm. Like, it's bonkers. It's a lot of Christmases. Um, yeah. And, um, like, turkey's in nearly every one of them. So, um, and if you look at the Radio Times, there's probably a turkey in nearly every issue for 25 years. So, so we're kind of held by this anchor of current tradition. So for basics, that's gravy, potatoes, roast potatoes and, and turkey. But then, like, there is this appetite for, like, well, what next? What's new? And, like, there's just cool stuff, man, that, like, and that, that works. And, and you know, obviously the, the chicken was really about having, like, a really festive, amazing, like, um, amazing-looking festive roast. So that's, you know, take a, a fairly big chicken. Uh, or it could be a small one if you want. Um, and we've got this amazing chestnut crumb that goes mm. on top of it that's just, like, crunchy and delicious and how to cook the perfect bird. And then the, I roast it with butternut squash and you get this amazing gravy. Like, again, chestnut gravy, which is just, like, Christmas in in a spoon. It's, like, bonkersly good. But actually, like, it's only a handful of ingredients if you look at the recipe. Mm. And it's it's definitely Christmassy. And that is a chicken, but, of course, you could apply that to a turkey. Um, or guinea fowl or any other poultry you want. Um, and people do try things like different things. Like if you talk to some people, like it's, it's amazing who the non-turkey is, like what they eat. I was going to say who they eat. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, um, but yeah, so it's kind, of, it's kind of cool and cultural. And then like the winter salad is something that I used to make like in the pub when I was like a kid, a teenager working in my mum and dad's pub. And like, like the red cabbage is like just visually arresting like it's like they're so nutritious they're really cheap and with a little help from a box grater you can make like this epic sort of salad and like whether you're having that as part of a kind of cheese leftovers kind of buffet vibe or whether you've kind of got it the next day in sort of a sandwich with some leftover ham or whether you have it on christmas day just to kind of have you know something i mean i like 
all the classics, but I quite like a little... Cu- I always have, like, 10% curveball. Mm. And I think that's a good vibe. Like, you know, like, you'd be upset if your mum or dad or loved one didn't do those things that you know yeah. you love. Cheesy But, things. like, just that little curveball, little curveball. And, and I think, like, if you look at it, it's got, like, the roasted apples, you know, all the flavours, the goat's cheese. Like, just a little bit of that on a plate with all your normal stuff. It's like ping, crunch, cold, tangy, like delish. So call it a salad. I mean, you can almost think of it like a, a salsa, but it's just something a bit different. And and it keeps well for leftovers, which is which is pretty cool. In your programme, Jamie's Easy Christmas, you use a lot of produce from your own garden. So should we be encouraging more people to grow their own veg? Yeah, I mean, in the programme, you know, we test everything with supermarket ingredients that everyone can get so we don't do anything weird or wonderful but um yeah i mean i think any excuse to sort of show where food comes from where it grows uh, even in winter you know there is like it's a really kind of potentially miserable time of year growing right now but actually like the stuff that i'm growing is like abundant like like lots of seeds from sort of mountain stuff that's traditionally always much colder. It does really well here. So I've got like like salads like you wouldn't believe right now and incredible brassicas and like cabbages and kales and beautiful brussels. And we've got the pumpkins we picked a month ago, but they'll keep for five months. Like oh, wow. Banging, you know. So it's like nature's like really generous, you know, like, you know, the capsule of an egg or the capsule of a pumpkin is just like just gift like it will see you through like all that energy and flavor that just sits through winter and like you know like without being sort of too romantic about it it's sort of the way we look at food now and the way they looked at it 50 years ago and if you go back 300 years ago like if you couldn't grow if you couldn't preserve 300 years ago like the people you love most are going to die yeah and it's as simple as that there's no romance to it if you live in the middle of nowhere which a lot did yeah. and there wasn't motorways and the cars uh, you know, like, if anything goes wrong, you, you're, like, days away. Like, if there's a snowdrift, you're snowed out. Mm. Well, ice is out. You know, like, like, so, do you know what I mean? Like, we kind of, like, we live in days now of, like, luxury adverts and, you know, slow-mo chocolate kind of, like, dribbling down a beautiful pudding. And and don't get me wrong, like, Christmas is a joy. And, and whether it's a confused joy or a commercialised joy or a religious joy, or you know what I mean? Like... Ultimately, for me, mm. the pleasure I've had doing Christmas specials for the last 20 odd years has been like just any excuse to slow, have people you love around, like just like the just trying to cook and put a bit of love into something that you share. Like, yeah. I know it's romantic, but like these are like really superhuman things that are like, you know, have been with us for millennia. Mm. Um, and in contrast with what happens on our phones, which is the crack of all of us, like, you know, like we're yeah. all addicted to our phones. It's like banging, Always too in down. contact, too available, too remindable, like, and it's amazing and horrible and amazing and, and terrible and like it's everything in one. But it's like this, you know, whether it's kids or us, we're all, so like, you know, I try and get rid of the phones as much as possible on Christmas day. I know yeah. it sounds like, you know, but it, honestly, you kind of get your kids back. Yeah. And um, yeah, we take some pictures and all that old malarkey and we always laugh because a lovely picture goes up, but it was just before they trod on a ball ball and there was glass cut on their foot, you know. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I just think like, whatever reason you come together at Christmas, it's 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 probably a really good one. Yeah. And, um, 
everything seems to slow down and um i love that and in i know you might not think this but like probably we've never cooked less than now probably now more than ever as in more takeaways or more i just think the average public probably cook less now than any moment in time and there was like the optimistic outlook of like covid people are cooking more well yeah that was under duress it was kind of like a prison but it didn't last and that also grew a rise to delivery services and if you look in at what's going in baskets now you know it's definitely you know a, a different spectrum of versions of it's kind of less cookie cookie scratch cooking more component cooking or or reheating yeah. and it's not that that's a judgmental thing it just means drastically that the the audience is changing mm. and and that's also mixed up with a version of progress so the big question is is like you know where does no genuinely like where does cooking live in your life yeah and in a funny kind of way like that makes the christmas special like we always smash ratings we always get amazing interaction like our website gets battered yeah um like so definitely we know that even the non cooks are cooking this episode is brought to you by amazon prime you know amazon prime is not just a shipping subscription right it's got everything including streaming tv and movies on prime video and of course prime's fast free shipping go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things whatever you're into it's on prime visit amazon.com/prime to get more out of whatever you're into if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip it was just a really long drive at participating mcdonald's Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And, yeah. and, and you know, my job's to sort of like, and, and as much as it's sort of jazz hands and cute and, you know, all right, I do campaigns and things that matter as well. But I guess in a kind of nice way, like people are vulnerable. Oh, my God, oh, my God, I've got to buy all this stuff. It's not cheap. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I've got to cook. For, like, it's the first time I've had the in-laws around or this or that, or the, like, the pressure. Like, so there is also pressure. So I, I do feel that my job is to give people, most importantly, principles yeah little hacks even if you don't cook all my stuff that's fine like like there'll be stuff there'll be tune in there'll be gold in there like something for everyone yeah and and even if you find me annoying like and my enthusiasm annoying or whatever that's fine but you can still trust me yeah like you know i'm with you like it don't matter <laughs> if you can't stand my guts if you pull that off you're gonna look great yeah um so i, I find the whole thing quite fast i mean even in my time since the naked chef how, how old are you i'm 26 yeah so like you were like uh like that was you were like six when the naked chef came yeah out. because when i was at school yeah. was when you were revolutionizing yeah school lunches. school lunches yeah so like you know but it's it's really changing i mean the turkey's yeah. still there you know but um and you know last few years was covid this year it's cost of living and and like yeah. you know just like 
the job of the program is to bring the joy, the enthusiasm, the tools, the hacks, but also hopefully you see, and look, it's a recipe based around a red cabbage. That ain't going to break the bank, Mm-mm. you know, and a big roast based around a chicken. Like, okay, so you can go turkey, you can go goose and pork hair and all the lovely things we've talked about, but a chicken, you can still, you can still smash it. Yeah. So, and it's four pound in Tesco. Absolutely. And, and I know that everyone's going to have a view on, on what is, and no one knows really what cheap is. Like, is £2 cheap a portion? Is a pound a cheap a portion? 50p? Like, yes, so everyone's got a view. But like, I guess where I sit is like, try and just give flexible principles that everyone, wherever you are in life, age, whatever situation, like, hopefully there's something really useful for you to use. And if not, hopefully there's someone locally that can look after you if you're vulnerable do you know what I mean so whether it's neighbors old age pensioners the homeless I mean it it is a time of year to think of others so yeah and just like you I think about all those things all the time and um and it's cold yeah it's very cold um I want to lighten the mood (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you say that I was thinking there's two ways I could go yeah no go up go up let's go I'm gonna do the quick fire questions but we'll come back to some of those um topics because I think they're interesting um so this is quick fire questions I give you two options or a short question and it's the first thing that comes to your mind mistletoe or Christmas tree mistletoe favorite Christmas song the pogues Fairy tale of New York. Brilliant answer. Especially the ending. Very arousing. I mean, rousing, not arousing. <laughs> Want to do that again? Not really. Great. Festive snack and drink of choice whilst watching telly. Okay, like, it's not actually festive, it's all year round. It's basically salt and vinegar hula hoops pressed into Westcombe cheddar so you get a cheesy hula hoop with, with really good single malt over ice. Brilliant. Okay, great. With a sparkler in it and a bit of tinsel. Present you'd most like to receive? Some really nice comfy socks. Worst present you've ever received? Not comfortable, not nice socks. <laughs> Favourite family festive tradition? Trifle. Favourite part of a Christmas lunch? Trifle. Christmas dessert of choice. Trifle. <laughs> there Damn, we go. I've just ruined your questions, man. That's Trifle fine. was powerful. I mean, that came out strong, right? That did. Okay, I want to take it back to your childhood now. So you were raised in a village in Essex, um, and your parents, Trevor and Sally, ran a pub. So what was Christmas like growing up? In the pub? Well, it was full of festivities, as you would imagine, in a pub, like the month before, decorated trees everywhere, uh, Christmas menus, Christmas parties. So very jolly, very loud, uh, very community, but very special occasions. That was my house. So I lived above it and I heard it all at the same time. Discos, um, like everyone smoked in those days. So it was like the smoke coming up through the gaps in the house. It was literally like a, you know, a party in my bedroom. I'm sure (laughs) the passive smoking that I did was terrible, but, um, no, it was amazing. Like the vibe was, it was a gift. It was an honor to live in a pub. Mm. And, um, luckily for me, it was like, cause it was a foodie pub. Like it wasn't like mad, like rowdy. It was just joyful. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, incredible and then on christmas day we pretty much do a mirror of what we do we'd be like up at like four or five like shivering excited do like the prezzies and stuff but we'd be open by 10 and we'd open from 10 till about two just for a short service on christmas day that was normal for me um and then then like the pub would close and our christmas would start you know so it was kind of like 
mad. And it's like, it's funny, like, <laughs> like that, that little, like people would escape their houses just to come for a couple of hours from 10 till two, <laughs> like <laughs> either to get away from the cooking or get out of the way of, of, of whoever's cooking or to just like, you know, not get in trouble. But it was like, it was a good vibe. And then, yeah, we did a really traditional Christmas. Nan and Grandad, you know, would always be around. Mm. Um, super cute and um, loved it to bits. And living in a pub was really interesting. Yeah. Like, it was like my, when you imagine yourself coming down the stairs in the morning, you know, mine would be a wash-up area and then a bar. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like mad, right? And then like, and all the locals become kind of versions of like maybe what we would perceive as a kind of, uncle or auntie like I had yeah. like 30 women that brought me up you That's know amazing. like amazing waitresses and, and like in, in the village like they they stay for years like dad had staff for like 40 years so mm. like these amazing women that would know me from zero yeah and uh, you know and like make sure I was behaving well or all right or you know like I never got bored so it was good, good, good times. Wouldn't change it for the world. Was that where your love of food and love of cooking came from? Definitely. I mean, I think, I think like love and passion is something that develops in potentially your late teens or early 20s. But I think in a more simple language, really, like I was just good at it. And the only reason I was good at it wasn't because I was genius or born to do it. I think I just repeat, repeat, repeat all the lessons that wise people tell you now, like just 10 minutes a day of something like just 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 do it 10 minutes 20 minutes it's all you need so just yeah. keep at it like let a year go by like just nail it like evolve like progress and so like for me I just work for pocket money and just I had a terrible time at school like that couldn't have been you know I mean I was very happy but from an academic point of view it couldn't have been worse really but at, at work at the weekend um I loved it I'm happy you know, to learn to graft, to learn to be tired, to learn to earn a pound, to learn to peel things really quickly, chop things properly, like fillet, bone, you know, fry, steam, you know, prep, salads, pastry. I mean, by the time I was 12, I'd, you know, made French meringue, Italian meringue and Swiss meringue. You know, it's like we had a proper pastry department. I thought it was normal. Of course, it's even now it's not normal. Yeah. But um, I was blessed, you know, seven chefs on a shift. Yeah. You know, and um, and they were all teaching me how to do things and whooping me if I didn't do it right. And so that was my childhood, really. So thank I mean, genuinely, like, you know, cooking definitely saved is probably a dramatic word. But like, I think when you look at all the mental health and stuff that people talk about now and kids, and especially if you've got learning struggles as I did with dyslexia if you're mm. ADHD OCD you know or any any of the kind of struggles you know if you're not looked after in the right way it can it can become very heavy and you can feel that you've got nothing to offer and and, and you can kind of just get off your path instead yeah. of get on your path so for me like cooking was like yeah I can do this it's never going to be too bad <laughs> and it's true like 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 I was really prepared for the life I knew I could definitely have yeah. working in a pub being able to travel anywhere around the world, knowing I'd never have to be unemployed. Like, you know, even like even if not about being, no one goes into that because I think they're going to be rich. Yeah. Like, forget that. Like, but just the joy to cook, the joy to serve. Um, and like knowing that you'd never be unemployed if you didn't want to be. Yeah. Like, it's, that's, I mean, that alone is like a, an amazing gift. So it still baffles me why British kids and British people don't want to work in kitchens. 
I mean, I know it's like long hours and this that, and the other, but you will you find so I mean, the employer has to change to the need state. Like, like you know, there's um, we scared women away like many years ago, like yeah. because that we're not flexible enough. But you know, good employers will be flexible. Yeah, and um, and you can organise shifts, and and as as a team, you can work it out. But I, I genuinely think it's the most amazing industry, um, and still very underserved by British workers. You know, we yeah. really relied on our European, you know, yeah, pre-Brexit. Like we were like, average was like 80% European workers. Yeah. Um, we were like 35%. We were like the biggest British employers. But like we couldn't have done it without our, all of our European no. neighbours. So. And we've seen that issue since Brexit and it's got worse. after COVID, yeah, it's got especially. Worse. The whole industry is at least 15% underemployed. Everywhere. If you walk around now, you can see in all the windows, yeah. staff needed, staff wanted. Yeah. And it's a shame because it's an amazing industry. There's so many possibilities. Um, there is, like, you could be an architect, you could be a city boy or girl, like, and, like, they retrain and they, they're learning trajectories so fast yeah. and they can end up, you know, like building something that they want to be in and eating themselves. You know, like, there is there is real happiness to be had. Yeah. Um, and but- it offers so much. You know, we see the restaurant, it's, and especially since COVID, being able to go back out and going to eat with your friends and going to eat with your family. You know, the, the hospitality industry offers so much to people as well yeah. and a sense of community. It's culture, man. It's culture, it's the arts, it's everything. But what's what's really interesting is, like, if there's no one to work in it, then all you do is simplify your menus. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like not being able to put the opera on, even though you've got most of the talent. Like, yeah. like you can't, you need the team. So it's like most people have scaled back their menus, which means scale back their techniques, yeah. their excitement, um, the level that they were at. They're having to just shimmer it down. Hopefully not too much if they're clever, but a lot of them have gone down because they just haven't got the people. And then, of course, that equals apprenticeships and young people. So there's not the new blood coming through because they're not there. I don't know where they are, but sadly, um, you know, we'll have to fix it. But yeah, a joyful industry nonetheless. And and pubs, which are closing at a rate of knots, are, are beautiful things. I'm a big fan of the, the local pub. I love the pub. It's my favourite place to be. And I want to talk about emerging young talent because... 20 years ago, your first job was as a pastry chef and then you worked as a sous chef. And then at a very young age, you became a household name with The Naked Chef, known for your relaxed cooking style and for bringing the fun back into cooking. And I want to talk to you about how you ended up on screen and what that experience was like. Um, wow. I mean, never thought I'd get on TV. Um the night that the crew was there at the River Cafe, I wasn't supposed to be working. So I had a night off, as did Jules. And we hadn't had a night off together for a long time because we were both working. Um, and someone called in sick. So proper sliding doors moment. So I shouldn't have been there, and I was. And because I was catching up, because I was called in late, like I was working plus 20% so at speed, and this TV crew were absolutely in my way. Um, and as much as it was exciting to have them there, like, um, like service is service, six o'clock is like, you know, like the moment you've got to be prepped for. And they just kept asking me, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? So I just answered. So luckily for me, um, now I know as a program maker, like, um, 
the editor was desperately trying to just put a little reportage, a little kind of flavour of the vibe throughout the recipes that had been filmed. And now I look back at the recipes that they'd filmed, that there's just a few recipes that are quite tricky in the edit and they don't cut down so easy. And, and, and one was, a, I think it was a risotto, one was a pork roast, one was a, a bolito misto. Like, so the, the, you can only cut them so much. Um, so, like, they just needed a bit of kind of like vibe. And I was just lucky. I was working on HOTS 2, which allowed me to have dishes on the menu that were like Frito Misto dishes very quick, little, you know, ravioli, tagliatelle dishes really quick, like two minutes start to finish. I had a slow-cooked dish that was done. So, like, every time they asked me what am I doing, it's like, da, 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 and, like, edit, cut, in. So I just somehow got littered into this amazing Christmas special. And I was young. I was just a tiny bit younger than you. And... um it was a great time. Like it was, you know, it's a beautiful age to be. And it's like, you know, you've got so much to offer, but you've got youth on your side and you're still like, you know, not overtaken by like reality and negativity and logic. Like, you know, you dream and you, you like want to try new things. And so I was just like happy, so happy working in this place. Yeah. And then it was like, I don't know, maybe six months until it went on TV. So I didn't even know I was in it, by the way. All of that I said, I didn't even know I was in it. And then it went out and I was working the night it went out. So I didn't even know that night that I was in it. And then the next morning the phone call started and um, uh, they're like, who's this kid? And like, they were saying stuff like, you know, you had like old man's hands, but like this baby face. And um, yeah, man, it was like, I'd been cooking quite a long time by then. So even though I was like, you know, still a baby, like I'd been cooking since I was eight, you know, I was like for pocket money. So I knew my way around the kitchen mm. and that was kind of like, and it's not like I'm showing off at all. It's just like, you know, like when you know, you know, like you, yeah. you, the touch, the move, the economy of movement, you know, sort of like, so I wasn't walking around like a student, like I was getting amongst it. But yeah, just then that's like someone phoned up, actually multiple people phoned up, but one of them was um, uh, Optimum TV. We did a little pilot, which was, you know, proper rough and ready. That went to the Channel 4 for six months. They passed on it. Uh, it's not my world. I didn't know. I was just cracking on my work. And then it went to Mark Thompson at the BBC. And um, he's, like, now running New York Times or something. Like, you know, he's, like, like he's been big cheese for years. But, like, he was a sort of you know, less senior person in those days. He commissioned me in two days. Wow. Boom. A complete unknown. By the way, when did that happen last? Like, no one does that. No. And I, have, and I have asked him, like, why did you do that? And it's, you know, sometimes it's like you know, the budget to gap in the schedule. Like, you need, like, you have, I mean, there's so much luck involved. Yeah. Like, I have no idea. Like, I was unknown, untested to be given six half-hour shows. Unheard of. I, I can't think, I can't think of when that's happened again. Like, everyone's, you know, TV's harsh, man. It's not, it's not like comedy where you've got things like, eight out of ten cats or buzzcocks where you can test a bit of talent and if they're a little bit weaker you've got three or four other talent to like prop them up yeah like it's you know with cooking it's like you know it's hairy you. bikers you know two fat ladies the naked chef like you know everyone's got to have some sort of like slightly strange tv quirk you know just being talented enough isn't good enough i mean you know that, i think that's true and fair to say yeah. I, I just lucked out i was young and i could cook yeah and, and somehow Somehow I was confident enough or naive enough or maybe in a nice way arrogant enough to just think 
I'm going to make my own programs early. Like yeah. I started making my own stuff early. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I just knew what I wanted to achieve. On So you'd start meeting cameramen and looking at lenses and talking about the edit and talking about the music and, like, how can I capture this better than everyone else? Like, this is boring. Like, how can we do it better? Like, no, no, I don't want to see the food like that. Like, I want to see it like the human eye. Get up close. Depth of field. Like, concentrate on the bit that's, like, sizzling or cutting or juicy. Like, you know, and it's sort of... I think that just allowed my dyslexic brain just to just celebrate yeah. in all, do you know what I mean and I then very young I became the the kind of in charge of my own destiny which was the key because I didn't have to ask anyone then no. oh please sir can I do this it's just like right we're going to do this you know because I'd sold a few books which the public decided to do do you yes. know what I mean so I then like so then in a way like like that Jamie was a very different Jamie like you know ultimately that few of the pillars are all the same but like my public, which sounds really, you know, it sounds pretentious, but let's say it differently. The public who bought my books yeah. are my boss. Blatant. I will get fired. for. I don't give a shite about no one trumps the public other than Jules, you yeah. know, right? And, and even that would be close. Like, so if I work for a client or a channel or like, like I'll get fired happily for the public because that that so I think that's like a real kind of north star yeah and then I had just enough money to make my own stuff and and luckily even you know that it's tough to stay in like media for like three years you eat yeah. up spat out so and you have to take every opportunity that comes your way yeah and you've you, you got to make in. the right choices and, and like it's it's hard like longevity is hard mm. 25 years is like 100 years in dog years like it's yeah. so um you know i you know I, there's obviously been mistakes and things i maybe could have done better but i think like sincerity and authenticity and and a focus on the moment you know, like producing content that kind of ma like the same content doesn't mean the same any year. Yeah. Like now is cost of living, right? So you'll see that taste and that, you know, like how do we be useful, be like relevant, but most importantly, like joyful and optimistic, like that cocktail in the right proportion, using the right words in a very angry, inflammatory time. Yeah. Like COVID was another flavour. Like, you know, the, the last series was together and that was about coming out. Well, literally, we got into that production and we could legally only film by three days because we weren't allowed to. Three days. The commission was like nine months before, right? So we were all going for something that didn't exist. Thank, thank the Lord it did, you know. Lockdown, We, we I was the first non-news broadcast on TV to make bespoke lockdown content. It was 16 hours. We were on TV, on the first day of lockdown, we were prime-timed eight o'clock. You know, we, we shot it, you know, on my phone. And then it was, you know, sound wasn't great. Like, I've got a studio, so we used to be in a band, so like, sound fixed. Echoey room, like sofas in room. No light, so south-facing window, two hours of light. Right, we shoot it then. Like, proper, like... <laughs> like no close-up Jules your close-up camera she became a close-up you know so like Bless. do you know what I mean like, so it's like yeah. it's a funny old game but yeah and I guess obviously with hindsight it's it's a really nice thing but I listened to your Desert Island Discs before the interview and you're so sweet, you know, you're so... I know you were my age probably when you were doing it and... You I probably just, was exactly your age, yeah, 26. Yeah, you were so kind of full of life and... My voice was a little bit more like, yeah. all right, and I was definitely <laughs> so, a bit more common. 
You know, <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> but in it, you said, you know, well, I don't know how long is is left in this for me. You know, yeah. I, I'll keep going and until whatever, and then I'll do whatever's next. But now, you know, you're you're 25 years on, maybe plus. You're the best-selling British non-fiction author since records began. You're still making TV shows. What What is the recipe for success? Relentlessness. Listen hard. Listen hard with as much ego as you can dismantle as possible. Be relentless. It's honestly harder now than it's ever been. So please don't think it's easy. But that's not your problem. But, like, it ain't easier now than it was then. Um, the worlds that we broadcast on and how it's commissioned and funded and this and the other, it's like, it's like what's happening? It's, like, everywhere. Yeah. So, like, it's quite, like, transient, quite bumpy, quite turbulent. You know, we're all trying to work it out. The most experienced people in the game are like, what is going on? So that's it. But ultimately, like, for us, the passion to you know, do good work, touch people, like motivate people, arm people, empower people, you know, as the versions of normal life or mental health or joy, comedy, trouble, strife, issues, like like that's our job. And and they directly or subtly touch all of our jobs. Yeah. Um I mean, honestly, like, no one will believe it, but like, I can be, far, like, like my tap, it's not like I make, like, tomato soup and, like, I'm popular and, like, it just rattles up and down but always mainly up. Like, I can get fired, like, so quickly. Like, I, there's no, like, I, if, I feel, if I don't rate in the right way, like, switch, switch off, fear. Yeah. It, that, that's it. That's, I've got 150 people that look up to me for work here. So I've built an organisation to try and sort of support this really bizarre job. And I'm not complaining at all. I'm just saying, like, I think everyone thinks it's like, as it's like, oh, yeah, that's rock solid. No, 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 no. Like, like all of my bosses are transient. Like, you fall in love with people that understand, like, your, the inner you and what you're trying to get across. They're gone. See ya. They've moved on to the next. They're working for the enemy. And then they're back again as the big boss. And then they're off again. Like, it's a really transient industry. Yeah. And I'm not complaining. It just means, like, <laughs> literally, I'm, you know, I'm potentially, like, a few months away from being fired any t for the last 25 years. <laughs> Which is, like, do you know what? And, and, I have ne and I've nearly been fired so many times, um, uh, you know. But I think, like, if, if, you put the, if you put the public first, generally speaking... Um, and I mean this with all sincerity, like if you put them first, people struggle to fire you. Yeah. And I can tell you like six or seven times I should have been fired. Not, not from TV per se, but clients, partners, this, that and the other. But they can't, not if the public are on your side, not if you're doing it for them. So whether it's kind of government or whether it's an organisation, yeah. a broadcaster or this, like they can't fire you if you have their best interests at heart. Yeah. And if they know that. So that's, <laughs> that's for as many people in the public that find me deeply annoying, which there's quite a few. Um, there's a lot of people that have my back big time. And, yeah. and, and I feel that. And I'm very grateful. I'm very, the whole Oliver family is grateful <laughs> for your continued support thus job. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you do, you do a lot of campaign work. You helped British school children move towards eating healthier foods and, and cutting junk. You know, and you also recently tweeted, uh, everyday kids are 
asked not to give up and to keep trying at school. And I just wanted to let the education secretary, Gillian Keegan, know that I won't give up until every kid who needs it has access to a free school meal. Can we talk about that? And I think it's important, especially in the context of Christmas, where there are going to be families that aren't going to have money and it's cold and the cost of living crisis is becoming increasingly uh, more prevalent in everyday life. What fuels your campaign work? I was never born a campaigner. I was never that person, by the way. And even when I was your age, like 20... Well, actually, as I was... only The first time that I ever felt any duty to what was like morally, ethically right or wrong in the community was about 26 and I started 15, which was a restaurant which took sort of underprivileged kids, you know, often from prison and troubled backgrounds, homeless. And we gave them like a incredible year's training to be a chef. And the most exciting restaurant at the time uh, was the restaurant and, and the profit from that restaurant paid for those kids. At that time, it was 25 grand a kid and we had 15 of them. So like... That was my kind of window into, like, and and that was kind of like slightly reflective of the like the struggles that I had at school, because um, most of those kids also struggled at school, but they came from a myriad of backgrounds. Um, but then, as I got to know them and then their families and where they came from, you know, why do you, you know, why do you become a, a drug dealer? Why do you um, nick cars for a living? You know, you know, sort of getting, and they're very good at it, by the way. You know, some of some of them even nine to five. <laughs> um, that kind of got me quite close, and then into sort of school dinners. And school dinners was an interesting one. It was, it was. I mean, by the way, there's still. Well, has it improved vastly? Yes. Is it anywhere near done? No. Like, um, but there was no standards. So I, I, I was part of creating the standards the nutritional standards for schools. So what does that mean? It, it meant that we said, well, what do actually kids need? Mm. And, and, and actually good nutrition isn't about what you can't have, it's about what you can have. Um, but what was really interesting is that all the contracts around the country have been sold to the cheapest offer. The cheapest always won, which meant that people were having, say, a sausage or a sausage-like patty product, and there'd be hardly any meat in it, and it would all be fillers and, like, a myriad of E-numbers and this, that, and the other. It's terrible for the kids. Mm-hmm. So when you create the standards, everyone has to bid for the standards, which were the standards that are appropriate to nourish the next generation, right? Um, so, you know, it wasn't about, like, taking a burger and taking it away. No way. It was actually putting more meat in the burger. So it's, yeah. it was actually the opposite of what a lot of people still perceive. Oh, you came into my school and you changed. No, no, I, what I did was put more meat in your burger, dude. I put <laughs> yeah. more meat in your meatball. Like, like, and even, like, Turkey Twizzlers reformulated. Guess what with? More meat, <laughs> less additives, cleaner decks, you know. So it was, um, but that change was, like, my beginning of realising that civically as a country, like we kind of lost touch with, okay, there's the kids, the future, the hope. Um, there's the mums and dads all being asked to work, get the girls to work, tax them the same as men. Like, you know, the coffers got bigger because of the girls going to work, rightfully so, but also the coffers got bigger. Okay, so so what's, what's missing? And there was lots missing, you know, and, and like we owe it, especially to British mothers, but mums and dads, modern day mums and dads, to make sure those kids have access to to, a, to an appropriate breakfast and lunch 190 days of the year, which is half a child's nutrition for their whole childhood. Um, and of course it should be correct and sourced 
You, you don't want to have like healthy food that's unethical, that's like, you know, burning down rainforests. And, you know, you don't want to have like food that's unhealthy. Like that, that wouldn't make sense. Like you've got 190 days to, to, to be like, like, like the problem with like public health is that everyone's so different. Like it's so different, like from one extreme to the other in every shape, way and colour. So the ability to make consistent change to all is almost impossible, if not impossible. But school is an institution that's already funded. Like it's, 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 we can guarantee quite a lot. Yeah. And, and, um, those vulnerable kids, they, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, 1.2 million kids that get free school lunches. So that household, household, not person, earns less than seven and a half grand a year, you know. And then the ones I'm trying to campaign for, which is another 800,000 kids, is roughly around 12 grand a year per household. It's, it's, it's a slightly different structure, so it can go up. But basically, the vast majority are still within that very... So these... These are very vulnerable families. These are very susceptible to all the things we're reading about. So, yeah, it's, it's just weird because we still see this idea that strategic civic government thinking about kids and, like, like it's like, ah, oh, it's a luxury. No, 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 it's a necessity. Like, it's just really weird. Like, if you – how can I say, like – but our schools are like the most precious organization to to, yeah. to to give this country true hope and how they're managed and incentivized and empowered and and resourced like honestly like like don't cap those teachers the good ones like like the sky is the limit therefore the sky is the limit for our kids but like they haven't had like the education revolution that I dream of but let me give you an ex- example like with smoking ban, I remember I opened 15 and I was serving this dish. I remember the dish. There was a dude chain smoking a foot away from a couple that didn't smoke. And it was a scallop dish, like live scallops coming down from diver court, like, like driven across to Inverness, overnight train, arrive in the morning to us, shucked alive, like pan seared, like killer dish, like badass, and like chain smoking next door. And you're like, and I was like, that is wrong, man. Like, damn, that's wrong. Like, so I banned, like, smoking in the restaurants, like, three years before the law. And the, and the smokers went mad. Like, obviously, that became the global norm. Yeah. But that concept of passive smoking is exactly the same as a child going to a class. The first three hours of the day are really important, right? If you put three kids in a class with an energy drink instead of a breakfast, right, plan B and plan C. If you've got, like, kids that are bouncing or asleep, it affects the whole class. So it's really interesting. If you're talking about, like, could a breakfast, like, is it just nourishment? Is it just morally right? Like, it's more than that, man. It's like these teachers are, like, trained, right? They're not overly paid. Like, they're trained to inspire, right? And they've got all these kind of environmental factors within their own classroom that is going against progress and like taking yeah. and especially in the poor areas man where they need education to help them like like work out of poverty which is totally possible but uh, it's quite unlikely sadly that's like that's that's a reality not that's not an opinion it's like like do you know what i mean so like it's you know so for me like school lunches school breakfast for the vulnerable like, don't get me wrong, if you've had lovely fluffy pancakes and quinoa, God bless, you know. Yeah. But, like, you know, there's, like, two million kids that need this. And I think they're really important. And, and I think they're worth fighting for. And, there's, you know, it's, it's gone on.
gone yeah. on for years. So, like, you know, like the it's hopefully like the the programming that we make and the campaigns that we do help raise the story. We need a next generation now, so we need your lot to like fire up, get amongst it, and get some of the kind of crustier thinking out of government. Government's so important, but you know, I know it's boring, and I know we're fed up with it. But like <laughs> they're yeah. spending, they're spending like a half to a, a quarter of all your money that you earn, like you know, in your yeah. name. So yeah. I, but by the way, this person that's talking right now, that wasn't me. <laughs> like that, I was never that person. Honestly, truly, like not an ounce, not even a tiny gram. Like it, the only reason I've got into this stuff is because I've been there. I've felt it. I've seen it. I've been with. The, I've been in the homes. Yeah. I've seen it firsthand. And once you've had that, like times a hundred, like you're a changed person. You can't unsee it. No. Nah. Never. Over Christmas, it's obviously a really nice reflective period. And I wonder, what are you most grateful for? And if you had one Christmas wish that could be granted, what would it be? I'm very grateful to be surrounded by love and great friends, which meanders through my family my friends and my work colleagues i'm really blessed i feel very 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 lucky and um i hope they feel the same way too and your christmas wish oh like that's a tough one uh, my christmas wish uh well i mean it's just cheesy isn't it it's like my christmas wish would be that everyone has a really happy and healthy 2023 yeah well jamie oliver on that note merry christmas and thank you for coming thank you for having me merry christmas thanks for listening to view from my sofa if you want to hear more from radio times don't miss our smart tv podcast in which we tell you what shows to watch this week and one to avoid and if you want to read more interviews with the stars of the small screen don't forget to pick up your copy of radio times out every Tuesday. That's all. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, check out the BBC Good Food podcast with Tom Kerridge at Christmas for festive food inspiration, opinions on novelty cheese, Christmas confessions and much more. Plus, handy tips for getting ahead and managing cooking on the big day. Just search the BBC Good Food podcast wherever you get your podcasts from.